Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and as always, we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, we're going to be starting things off with, of course, uh, our discussion on the Coach's Corner panel, and I've got two great uh, golf professionals uh, waiting in the wings, and I'll bring them out here in just a moment. Uh, and then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by, uh, once again, by my very special guest, uh, Brett Cohen. He's the uh, golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 authority and also the founder of NY Golf Fitness Guru. Uh, he's going to be joining me, and we're going to be talking about the biggest mistakes uh, you're making in the gym uh, and some of the things that you should be doing and why you shouldn't be doing some other things if you want to play your best golf out there. So uh, he'll be joining us on the second half of the show. And, of course, I've got, as I said, two great uh, golf professionals here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, they're going to be joining me here in just a second. But let me first remind everybody, uh, of course, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. And uh, best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type golf talk live up in the search key and that will take you to the uh, main page and for some reason if you can't join us during the live broadcast not to worry uh, just scroll down that page to the on demand section and uh, you can listen to the show in its entirety and of course all of the other previously aired shows are also in that section as well so if you missed a show uh, by all means go to the on demand section on the blogtalkradio.com link and uh, you can check it out there when it's convenient for you. Uh, you can also check us out on some other social media platforms, uh, iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and TuneIn.com. And again, just uh, type in Golf Talk Live, and that will take you there as well. Uh, also, if you want to call or speak to any of my guests uh, during our live broadcast on Thursdays, you can do so by calling area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you can certainly email any questions or comments to me uh, here at uh, my email address is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and uh, also I update on a variety of different social media platforms uh, Facebook of course on my personal page which of course is Ted Odorico and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O uh, and uh, also the other Facebook page is uh, Golf Talk Live blog make sure you have blog on there and uh, you'll get updates as far as who's going to be on the show uh, both on the panel and who my special guest that particular week is going to be uh, also on linkedin.com under my personal page and also on Twitter, you can follow me there and get updates through Twitter as well. Uh, my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO, and CEO is in capital letters. Um, as I said, I got two great uh, golf professionals. I'm going to just uh, read you a little bit about each of them. <coughs> Pardon me, and then I'm going to bring them on here, and we're going to start our, our discussion here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, first up, of course, is John Decker. He's uh, currently teaching professional at the New Albany Country Club. Uh, back in 2015, uh, he was named the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, prior to that, of course, he was the head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, uh, where he worked under great uh, uh, top uh, 100 instructors, Fred Griffin, and of course, late Phil Rogers. Uh, he's authored uh, the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course is an accompanying uh, Bible study with the book. 
and he's also a motivational speaker that travels uh, all over the United States and uh, does a great job there as well. And also, I'm glad to uh, excited to welcome back to the panel. She hasn't been on for a little while. She's been uh, busy traveling and doing other things. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Jamie Leno-Zimron. Uh, she is a Class A LBJ teacher professional, as well as a speaker, instructor, body worker, and consultant, and Aikido fifth degree black belt. Uh, she's also a corporate and conference speaker, uh, executive trainer and coach, and speaker for Vistage International and uh, the Executive Committee of Canada. So let me welcome both uh, John and Jamie back to the Coach's Corner panel. Guy, welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Glad. Now, Jamie, let me just uh, – I, I want to just before we start, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the last time you were on – um, did you not say that you, you're now, and, and I'm not familiar with it, did you not increase uh, your level uh, uh, as a black belt? Did you not go to level, was it level six or something that you said, or am I mistaken? No, you're correct. Uh, I was promoted to six degree black belt. Okay, so I'm going to make a change on that. So uh, even better. So let me rephrase that. She's a six degree <laughs> Aikido you. Uh, black belt. I thought you had said that, and I was looking at it when I was looking through the notes earlier, and I thought, I think that's wrong, but I, I wanted to wait till you get back on. Uh, but anyways, guys, welcome to the uh, Coach's Corner panel, and uh, uh, we're going to get right into it tonight. So as I was mentioning to both of you off air, um, you know, I like to kind of surf around and, and review some different things, and I happen to be on, uh, Jamie, on your site, and some interesting things, obviously, uh, all over the site, but uh, one thing particularly jumped out, and, and I want to talk about that first uh, part of the segment here and then we're going to uh, jump into another area as well uh, and I'm going to give credit where credit is due on that particular topic um, but we're going to talk about stress and uh, there's some obviously some key components and some things that we're going to talk about and Jamie since uh, since we're going to be talking about your uh, field of expertise I'm going to let you start first but I, I want to talk about um, first off explain uh, what stress does to the body and how it affects us general, as a general rule, and then we're going to get into some specific things, okay? Sure. Well, stress, in a classical way, we think of it as there's a lion, a tiger, a bear, or something scary uh, is happening, and we've got to deal with it. So we're hardwired uh, in our nervous system to uh, get the, the biochemicals that we need to jump into action real fast. Um, so that we can handle the lion, tiger, bear, or maybe the classic where uh, grandma sees her, her grandkid is trapped under the car and all of a sudden she can lift the car off to the, the kid. So uh, one of the things that we tend to like about stress is that we get this sort of superhuman, it feels like, energy because we get our system, our body-brain system gets flooded with uh, stressful chemicals, which are in particular cortisol and then essentially um, speed, adrenaline. So we have an extra level of alertness, and uh, we have we, we just kind of get flooded with this power. Our brain uh, activity also changes, so that we're in a kind of um, you know more homeostasis uh, stasis kind of a place where operating from our priests, which is where we have higher reasoning under stress when we've really got to act. That brain function, our neurophysiology, shifts quickly, instantaneously, fast before we even know it. Uh, into our limbic brain so that we can just kind of spring into action. So I think that what most of us need to know is that the biochemistry of stress is a speeded up nervous system and we can all feel our hearts beating and our palms get sweaty and our breath kind of picks up and we also feel like we have 
all the energy we need, which we do. Um, so we have all this uh, um, adrenaline, and it is, it's speed, really. Um, and then we also have this change in our neural physiology and our brain function so that we can really just spring into action. Now, that's all well and good when we are in that kind of um, emergency situation um, or when we need that kind of extra, extra jolt. The problem is when we, um, you know, are either have that kind of uh, biochemistry going on in a prolonged way, like all the time, say on the golf course, 18 holes, you know, <laughs> it's not a good thing. Right. Um, we're just pumping all no. the time. Um, and also when our brain function is back at our limbic or lizard brain, we call it our more primitive brain, and we're not able to really exercise our higher uh, level functioning in terms of our thought process, our rationality, our decision making. Um, so um, I often say when I'm working with, for example, I, CEOs, which I do a lot of uh, training around stress management in companies. And so I'll tell the CEOs that we're not really at the top of our game and we need to realize that we are operating under the influence. And I, I call it under the influence. It's just like you shot yourself up with some speed, right? Um, and right. so just the way we get DUIs, I always say we ought to get LUIs, leading under the influence, or PUIs, parenting <laughs> under the influence, or GUIs, golfing under the influence. So and I think that most of us can relate to that. Well said. Um, now, I know some of you are listening out there and you're thinking, okay, well, how does this sort of all play into to my golf game? What does this really one have to do with the other? And we're going to talk more about that here in just a minute. But I want to give John a, a chance to chime in here. Um, Jamie obviously has done a, a great job of sort of laying out uh, a sort of a general understanding of, of what's really going on with stress and what it does uh, somewhat to the body. And, and John, you know, as a, as a golf instructor, uh, when you're working with uh, students, there's various levels of stress. I mean, obviously, as a, as a new student comes and starts working with you, there's a little bit of anxiety and stress because they're not sure what to expect. Uh, there's a certain level of excitement. And then, of course, uh, you know, we see in golf tournaments, uh, much like the PGA Championship here recently, uh, we see uh, really different types of stress. Uh, you know, we see where there's obviously some definite anxiety uh, when things aren't going well, and then we see some sort of uh, positive energy that's created through stress, if you will, and, and other uh, anxiety issues. Um, so, so, John, when you're dealing with your students, and obviously, in addition to teaching and training them uh, how to be an accomplished golfer, you also want to sort of get inside a little bit and, and help them handle uh, different situations out in the golf course um, that could create uh, that sort of stress. So, Walk us through a little bit of conversation that you might have with them uh, about that and, and some things that maybe you do or have found to be successful in helping them overcome some of those stress levels. Um, that, this is a great question. I, I actually love this topic because um, one of the things I explain to my students, especially, uh, uh, for example, when I'm doing a lesson, a lot of times beginners will come in um, and they're extremely nervous. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I try to uh, explain to them that the, the nerves that they're feeling taking the lesson, maybe or having someone watch them hit the ball off the first tee, are the same nerves that a tour player is feeling. It's just the tour player is used to it. They're, they know how to, to – they have ways to combat it. So um, I try to obviously reassure them and, and comfort them. So if we're working with beginner, um, it's more or less just getting them uh, comfortable with me and, and, and the fact that they're taking a lesson. If I'm working with a better player uh, or someone that's uh, m maybe a mid-handicap player, someone that's, 
that's not intimidated, intimidated by taking a lesson, but they're intimidated when they play in their club championship. I'm going to be really uh, talking a lot about, um, first of all, what they do before they get to the, to the golf course. I'm going to talk about their diet in the morning, uh, you know, coffee, uh, things like that, how, how much, uh, you know, sugar um, are they eating properly during the rounds. Uh, then I'm going to talk about are they warming up, are they getting to the golf course, I don't want them showing up three hours before the round, but I don't want them showing up three minutes. So I talk about their, their warm-up and, and getting, getting ready, uh, you know, getting loose and, and getting, uh, working off some of the adrenaline there as well. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times I'll have them, uh, I, I say, you know, it's probably before you come to the golf course, maybe take a walk around the neighborhood. Just go out and, and meditate a little bit, uh, you know, get out in the fresh air, uh, get your get get yourself moving so that you you know because if you're sitting in the car and you're rushing to the golf course um, that that can add stress and a lot of times people are stressed out before they even get to the round and then when we're on the golf course you know the pre-shot routine is probably the most uh, important part uh, you know of of when they're before they're hitting their shot is having a pre-shot routine and practicing their pre-shot routine. And you know, during their practice time uh, during the week, so that they're they're used, to, they're comfortable with it. Um, you know, I work on the timing of their pre-shot routine. I don't want their pre-shot routine to take a minute, and I don't want it to take 10 seconds. I'm usually trying to get them in the 20 to 25 second range. So I try to time their pre-shot routine, uh, and then I talk to them a lot about breathing, uh, making sure that they're breathing properly as well when they're out there. So those are, you know, that's kind of a broad stroke of of the different mm -hmm. uh, level players that I typically will see um, in, in a daily, you know, a day at work. And, and those, that, this conversation comes up quite often. So I, I love this subject. Well, um, I'm glad that uh, I, I chose the, the two of you to, to have this particular conversation with, because uh, obviously you've, you've done a great job, uh, uh, you know, introducing the folks to, uh, really can be a very difficult and challenging topic for a lot of people to understand. And uh, you guys have done a great job thus far. Um, Jamie, I want to flip back to you for a second. Um, and as I sort of uh, alluded to here just a moment ago, there's obviously some good and, and some, some bad stress. Obviously, we know, I think we know generally the difference of that. Um, and let's talk about the bad stress for, for a minute that creates sort of the most anxiety and obviously you've developed through, and we're not going to be able to get to everything, obviously, because we don't have enough time, but um, maybe, again, you can kind of just sort of generalize um, some of the ways that you do to help people to either reduce or even avoid uh, that sort of negative stress, if you will. What are some things that you do with, with your golf students? Well, first of all, I just want to talk a, just a little bit more about good stress and bad stress because there is good okay. stress. And um, there's a wonderful graphic uh, that I like to look at, and it's called the human function curve. And it just kind of, you know, goes up and then it comes down. And so at the top is called the hump. <laughs> and so as you're coming up, if you're, you know, way down there and you kind of don't have enough juice, enough energy, enough pressure, enough motivation, uh, then that's, that's not so good. So you actually want some stress, some pressure, and I don't think that's hard to come by in golf. <laughs> we all feel at the minute we've got a club right. in our hand or step up there. It doesn't even matter the situation, right? We can be all alone and we feel stressed. Um, <clears throat> 
So, you know, as we come up uh, towards the, the apex of just uh, this little, you know, little mountain, uh, up there, getting up there, that's a good stress zone where we've got a lot of energy and we've got motivation and we've got some good chemicals going on. Then we hit the hump, and that's when we start getting into bad stress where, um, you know, there, there's too much uh, adrenaline pumping through, maybe where our mental game is getting negative, um, we're feeling so much anxiety, our hands or knees are starting to shake. And as you go further down that the downside over, over the hump and you're on the bad stress side, uh, you can get into fatigue, you can get into a uh, real breakdown. So it's kind of staying up there near the top, right? And that good stress, maybe the hump a little over and pull it back. And then, so that's where we are starting to look at uh, your question, which is how do we manage the stress? Um, <clears throat> so and one of the first things in all things for me and being a martial artist is to bring in practices from the martial arts, from yoga, from what masters do. And what masters do is they tend to be centered, okay? They, they right. are able to uh, center their mind, to focus their mind, to bring themselves into belly breathing. Stress breathing is chest breathing up where we're getting kind of hyperventilating even, like, you know, and we're getting all nervous. That's with that right. up breathing. So we want to drop, we want to literally drop our awareness, our weight, our energy, our focus down into the belly, breathe from belly breathing down further, down through our legs, our feet, our base. It's so important to be grounded and to have stability in the golf swing from a physical point of view in terms of how we can kind of coil up and, and deliver our our energy into the golf ball and be able to have consistency and accuracy and all. But it's also got a sort of mental, emotional stress management component to it when we get down into our belly and our legs and our feet. So when we get centered and grounded, that's the first thing. And that's always. So, um, and in the moment, we can always do that. One way I do it actually is to use the golf club. So I've designed a lot of exercises that are fitness exercises, swing patterning exercises, but they almost all begin with putting uh, the club right, uh, right in front of you, right in the, on the center line of your body, and putting your hands just kind of gently on top of the club, and then grounding, breathing, kind of uniting the left and right hands and sides of the body, the left and right hemispheres of the brain. So, much, so often, and many of us will put the club out to the side of our body and lean on it, and then maybe we'll cross our leg and we're leaning on the club while we're watching the other uh, players. So this practice of just putting the club right in front of you in the center of your body with an awareness of calming your breath, and integrating, uniting, getting the left and the right, the lower, the upper body, the mind and the body, the breath, all uh, in alignment, in attunement. That's an amazing practice that helps to, to uh, combat stress on the golf course right in the middle of the round. Um, and, you know, John, of course, was talking about pre-shot routines and post-shot routines for that matter. Routine is a really <clears throat> good way to combat stress. And I'm going to tell you just a quick story. And I'll let John talk. I'm sure we can uh, add to our, our stress management techniques on the golf course. But this was kind of interesting. This was a few years ago, and I was in the final group of uh, the Ohio Women's Open and in, in the, the senior championship. And I was playing with the two other top players, and I was one shot behind. And on the second hole, we were it was par five. We're all on the green in three, and I three putted. They two putted. So now I'm going in the third hole, and now I'm two shots behind. And I'm totally paying attention to what they're doing instead of what I'm doing. And I noticed it. Right. <laughs> I said to myself, you got to play your own game. 
And so I really started to use my awareness to come back into my own body, into my center, et cetera, and just think about my own game, not worry about what they were doing because that's all I can really control. Okay, next hole is good. I picked up a shot. And then on the next hole, it's a short par four. We're all about the same place in the fairway, and we just have a wedge to the green. And I hit mine on. Another one hits hers on. And the next per, uh, player knocks it in the hole. <laughs> so she wow. it in from about 100 <laughs> yards for eagle. Right when I had told myself, play my own game. And I'm so glad that I told myself that because I, it made me laugh. I just thought, wow, that's a lot of divine comedy right here. Instead of getting completely stressed out and freaked out. And I know I would have just come undone. And fortunately, I just was able to laugh about it. And uh, we ended up kind of having a head-to-head battle. And that year, I, I won, which was great. I actually won the, the senior division that year, the Ohio Women's Open. But I know it was from, from that practice of just basically play my own game and uh, don't, don't get rattled by what the others are doing. Well said. Very interesting story. And, and obviously, congratulations on the win. Um, John Jamie brings up a really excellent, uh, excellent scenario uh, in, in what she just discussed. And, and this is something that I know, you know, as you work with players uh, on the golf course, um, away from the practice tee, you're, you're getting them ready maybe to play uh, in their club championship or maybe they're getting to play uh, in, in a tour event of some sorts. Um, there's obviously a lot of anxiety. And really one of the points that Jamie just brought up was the fact that not just being centered, uh, but but really playing your own game, focusing on what you need to do uh, as opposed to what your playing partners are doing or, you know, watching the leaderboard and seeing what somebody else might be doing. So, uh, again, walk us through a little bit um, of, of what you feel is necessary and, and from, from your, your standpoint and from the player's standpoint to be able to accomplish that and, and again, sort of, center that that stress if you will to a point that's going to work for their advantage uh, out in the golf course well that's a that's a great question i think one of the first things that you really have to do is you have to know your personality um and, and dealing with stress for example um i had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with uh phil rogers who's my mentor and he played on right. the tour for years and he told me some great stories about how guys handled stress, and one of them was Lee Trevino, and he said that Lee Trevino um, would talk when he got nervous. Well, that's a, if you think about every time you see a clip of Lee Trevino playing on the golf course, he's talking. So that tells you he's right. nervous, but what he's doing is he's playing to his personality. Now, if, if, his, if he had a golf coach that said, Lee, I don't want you to say one word for the entire 18 holes, he probably wouldn't be able to, at the end of the day, be able to pull the club, the, the swing the club. So, I, you know, I think that that's his way of burning off the adrenaline. He obviously has a lot of energy, um, you know. So that's 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 one one way I think that's very important. Another thing that I think is important, to, uh, you know, if you know yourself, if you're someone who doesn't like to talk a lot, uh, if you'd like to be quiet, then I think meditation. I think when you're out there. Um, it's very important that you take time between your shots um, to uh, just, you know, relax a little bit. So you hit your shot and you're watching other people hit. Instead of watching them really hit, maybe you could be thinking about something, you know, maybe uh, something that you watch, a movie or something, uh, sports, something to distract yourself for uh, a few minutes so that you're not just wound up and, and dealing with tension. I think those are great little mind games. 
you know, knowing your personality and then being able to take your mind off of the game. And then when it's your turn to hit, obviously going back into your pre-shot routine and executing your shot. And then, and then, um, you know, from there, just relaxing. And I saw a great example of this. I remember when Matt Kuchar was won the TPC, and I remember him teeing off on number 18. And he hit his tee shot right in the middle of the fairway, which obviously 18 at TPC is extremely difficult, stressful. Right. Oh, I mean, that, that hole would scare anyone. And he hit it in the middle of the fairway, and as he was walking off of the uh, tee box, the camera was right there on him, obviously, because he was going to win. And um, he was talking to his caddy about the NBA game that was on that night. And you could hear the conversation. And and so yeah. uh, I've always believed that one of the greatest advantages that tour players have is a caddy and having someone that they can, as soon as the shot is over, whether it's good or bad, someone that they can talk to. And it can be about <clears throat> things that have nothing to do with golf. And I think that learning how to manage your mind over, a, you know, when you play around the golf on the tour, it's, let's say, five hours, but it's more than five hours. There's the preparation and all that stuff. It's an eight- or nine-hour event for those guys, and you can't be totally 100% focused all, the whole time. You have to be able to know how to manage your mind, and I think that's so important in managing your stress. Well said. Um, and I just want to add really quickly uh, a short little story, and, and I'm – kind of paraphrasing a little bit here because I, I don't remember exactly all of the details, but Annika Sorenstam some years ago uh, when she was still active on tour uh, received some very similar advice um, uh, from somebody that obviously that she uh, trusted uh, about um, she was playing in the U S women's open. Um, and one of the things that, that she had happened to her was that she was so entrenched and so focused on, on what she was doing on the golf course that as Jamie, as you pointed out earlier, that, that, that energy was just flowing at, at a rapid pace. So she consulted and, and, and again, I'm sort of a little foggy in all the details of, of who she was talking to at the time, but they basically said, you know, sort of in between shots, think about something else. Don't focus on necessarily the golf course. And at that particular time, uh, Annika was getting ready to um, redo her home. She was getting to sort of renovate and, and uh, you know, uh, have a kitchen done and so on and so forth. And the individual advised her at that time, you know, think about that. Think about some of the things that you want to do. And the idea was to distract her for uh, a little bit of time until she got up and got ready for that next shot because you cannot be up. And as you guys know, um, playing at a high level and working with high level uh, players, you cannot for four and a half hours constantly be focused on uh, your golf game and not have some distraction because again, those, that adrenaline level just gets to such a height that you'll end up burning yourself out after an hour or so. So Annika did that, uh, did exactly that exercise. And as she was sort of walking to, uh, you know, hold a hole and shot the shot. Uh, she took her mind out of the, the, the game uh, for that, that period of time. And then of course, re-engaged when she needed to. And ultimately, uh, funny enough, went on to win that particular U.S. Women's Open. So uh, it obviously served her well and really sort of further cements the point that we're talking about here. Um, Jamie, I want to, I, I want to come back to you and, and really focus on this positive energy and, and, and uh, sort of this positive stress, if you will, and how uh, it, you can maintain your energy 
and obviously your focus and your balance, how we can sort of wrap that in there as well. Talk a little bit about that. I think it was Tom Watson, I hope I'm making the right attribution, uh, who said, uh, when I started breathing, I started winning, <laughs> which is a great, right. a great quote. Um, again, I think it's him, it wasn't, it's, uh, whoever it was. And when I started breathing, I started winning. Um, so breathing and paying attention to our breathing is just, you know, such a great way to kind of get control of our energy and to uh, sort of recalibrate, rebalance our nervous system. We'll even see that on television. You'll hear a television announcers who aren't from, you know, Japan or China or something. They're not from the East. Um, they're not necessarily doing martial arts or anything, but they're like, hey, take a breath, uh, you know, taking a breath, taking a breath, a two-minute drill in football, um, whatever. And so this taking a breath is so important, just taking that moment. And there's a, a nice practice uh, called three deep breaths, where your first breath is just a centering breath, and the second breath, is a releasing breath, just letting go, letting go of tension, letting go of worry, letting go of a negative thought, letting go of the last shot, letting go of whatever needs letting go of. And then the third breath is a forcing breath, where you can just breathe in all the fresh air, all the beauty of, around you, all the uh, whatever it is you need. You know, I, I'm going to breathe in a, a shot on the pin. You know, I'm going to breathe in a, a perfect, uh, sweet putt, whatever it is. You know, I, I'm breathing in my drive right down the center of the fairway. But so it's just three deep breaths, centering, releasing, and then sourcing breath. That's a nice thing to do, and it's a nice thing to do in between shots. So I would um, kind of recommend that in terms of, um, you know, uh, say um, some breathing practices that can really help. Uh, this whole matter, uh, this notion of being able to relax, uh, the example you gave, um, you guys have been talking about, like Annika, being able to relax in between shots. Um, some people, you know, think of their happy place or talk about something else, and it's just, it's a way to relax. But this whole uh, question of being able to re-engage uh, and be completely laser focused when you do get to the golf ball, when to your next shot is really important. So um, there's a couple of practices that I like to do with uh, my students. And I, on my website, I have a nice article, article, it's called playing out of your mind. So one is called, I call it speed golf. And I kind of um, adapted it from going to play speed golf with runners <laughs> who were golfers. And so, you know, um, mm. it, it's kind of like Olympic biathlon, right? Here you, you're, uh, let's say nine holes, here's the competition. Have the lowest time to play nine holes and also the lowest score. So, you know, these folks go out and they run, and then they've also, so they're running as fast as they can, and then stop, focus, hit, putt, right? Um, so that's a great challenge. Um, and that's where these skills around being able to get centered and focused and calm real fast uh, are really very helpful. But it's kind of an interesting thing. The way I've adapted it for most people who aren't necessarily going to go run on the golf course is to just, uh, we'll, we'll say, in a playing lesson, really be working on some things, thinking about things, working on this, focusing on that. And then it's like, let it all go for the next couple of holes. We're just going to go up to the ball, no practice swing, and hit it. Just, you know, get to the ball, hit, get to the ball, hit, just play golf, play golf without all the thinking. So um, I think going back and forth from taking our mind out of it, because our mind can tend to stress us out, is really helpful and know that we can just get to the ball and play and, and do just fine, sometimes even better than when we, we take more time. Um, <clears throat> and then another practice that I uh, developed with a student of mine is called um, uh, Be the Ball. And so this student said to me, you know, 
it seems like the ball's the problem. I do fine on practice swings. I do fine on the range. And then I get to the ball, and that's when I have trouble. That's when we get really stressed out. So what if we play golf without a ball? <laughs> and I said, well, okay. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> it's, it's a really interesting practice. What you do is you get on the golf course, you know, tee up the ball, except there's no ball. You go through all the motions as if there's a ball, but there isn't. So, you know, you kind of have a tee, you put it in the ground, and you have your your hand the same way as if you had the ball there. Take your practice swings, do your pre-shot routine, look over your shot, the whole thing, and then uh, take a swing. And then you get to decide where the ball went. And then whether you're walking or riding, go up to wherever you've decided the ball is. And, of course, there's no actual ball. But, okay, here you know, we've decided that's where the ball is. And go through the whole routine. And you get to decide. It's a really interesting way to kind of unlimit your mind about what, what kind of shots you could hit or what kind of situations you could be in. And, um, and then just play a few holes without a ball. And then, of course, go back to playing with a ball. And then a couple more holes without a ball, a couple more holes with a ball. And it's a really, really interesting practice to try to break that stress cycle that so many, so many of us get into when we have a ball there. You know, that's a very interesting uh, uh, example, Jamie, because, you know, a lot of times we, we've had uh, some of our golfers that we work with, you know, we'll, we'll have them take a practice swing and everything just looks great. And then as soon as you put that golf ball in front of them, suddenly the swing looks entirely different. <laughs> so um, that's a great analogy, uh, an example that you use. And, and uh, I, you know, I hadn't really thought of that. So that's something I'm going to keep in mind for, for myself uh, when I'm working with some students uh, to try that exercise. That's a great example. I like that very much. Thank you. Um, well, I think I'll what we're going to – sorry, go ahead. I just want to add uh, one more little story from kind of from the masters, right? I noticed that my Japanese Aikido teachers, uh, when they would come to over his country and they didn't necessarily speak uh, English that well, and they would show all of these complex movements and techniques in Aikido. And then they would say, uh, so you see um, Onaji, same. And I came to learn that Onaji means the, the same, S-A-M-E in, in English. And they would constantly be saying, Onaji, Onaji, you see, it's just the same. And so I think if we can take that concept, and what that means is that whether uh, I am on the range or on the golf course, whether I'm taking a practice swing or the ball's there and this is my shot, whether I'm playing for fun or playing in competition, that uh, whether there's, you know, some money or so something on this shot that adds extra pressure and stress or not, whether this is just for fun, that I want to be the same. And the idea of being the same from this sort of uh, mastery point of view is that we aren't pushed around by the outer circumstances and we aren't reactive, uh, stress reactive to those factors internally and externally that are causing us stress. We become more the masters of our energy. We're able to keep ourselves in a calm, clear state where we can physically, emotionally, and mentally perform uh, to our best. So, again, without being pushed around by stress factors internally or externally, we're the same. We're sort of unmovable. And um, so I, I just want to offer that as well because I think it's, uh, it's something that I have in mind. And, know, okay, my teachers have taught me, you see, same, just the same. Can I be the same? And it, it's a heck of a practice, <laughs> let me tell you. Very good. Thank you. Um, uh, what I want to do now, guys, is is I want to move – um, with, with the time that we have left, I want to move on to a little bit different 
certainly there's again going to be a little bit of a crossover and and this i think sort of works well with with what we've been discussing um, as i mentioned um you know, I, I sort of looked around at some different things that I wanted for us to discuss tonight. And obviously, uh, Jamie, as I mentioned uh, and gave you credit for in the beginning, I, I got the, the first part of our discussion uh, from your website. And a gentleman that used to be on the show, hasn't been on for a little while, he's been, been pretty busy, but I'm going to have him back on uh, probably in the new year, uh, is Tim Kramer. And of course, uh, he was the uh, president and founder of um, MySpiritOfGolf.com. Um, which now is it goes under the heading of peak performance mind coaching. And of course he talks about really that internal dialogue, what's sort of going on inside. And uh, John, I'm going to go to you uh, to uh, give you an opportunity to talk about that. Uh, there's an internal dialogue that we all have in, in every aspect of our life, but even on the golf course, when we're faced with a, a maybe a difficult situation, it might be, uh, uh, it, it could be, you know, a shot that we have to, uh, overcome and there's that internal dialogue what we say to ourselves and what we do that conversation that we have ultimately can affect now that's not going to guarantee that we're going to hit every shot pure um, with with positive thought and it's not just about positive thought uh, but that internal dialogue is extremely important uh, for us out in the golf course so uh, talk a little bit about that and and again maybe use some examples or an example that you might have working with a student how using that internal dialogue is able to help them uh, when they're out in the golf course faced with maybe some adverse situations? Uh, this is a great, a great question because um, it, it really starts with what, what is determined as free will. You uh, have the ability to think any way you want to think. Uh, you can be positive or you can be negative. Uh, I see some people in this world who have everything <clears throat> and they're negative, and I see some people – who have nothing and and they're so positive in their outlook. So being positive on the golf course is where it starts in your in your thinking. Um, wh one of the things that I've learned, I'm, and I'm not a sports psychologist, but I've listened and I've uh, uh, read books and I've uh, really uh, been fascinated with this. But the mind cannot think of two things at the same time. You have the free right. will to choose how you're going to think. So if you're standing. Uh, and you have a 100-yard shot over water to a tuck pin, um, you have the uh, ability to think about the water. You can think about the bunkers. You can think about the wind. You can think about anything you want to think of. So what I really try to do in the internal, when I'm dealing with someone uh, and we're talking about this in their pre-shot routine, is making sure that they choose. And they, I, I say you have to choose to think about your target. I don't want you to think about the flagstick, and just remember your flagstick is not necessarily the target. I want you to focus on your target. I want your target to be elevated. I don't want your target to be a bird on the ground. I don't want the target to be the person who's on the green way out there in the distance. I want it to be something that's tall in the air, fixed, and I want your mind looking up at that, not looking down at the water, not thinking about the out-of-bounds or whatever it is that they're having to deal with. And I think that that is so important uh, is you know choosing their target, but having the free will to say I'm going to choose to 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 focus on that target and not focus on the fact that maybe on the last hole I chunked it and or I sculled it or hit a bad shot. And that's the most difficult part uh, about about the game is being able to let go and being able to uh, stay in the moment. 
And, and you know, I've done a lot of speaking around the country, and, and I spoke to the first tee in, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, this was back in uh, about a year ago. And, and I, I showed, the, showed them the golf ball, and I said, you know, I said the golf ball is like each one of us, and, and, and we can uh, think about what happened on the – if we're on the fifth hole, we can think about – we have the free will to think about what happened on the first hole. And we have also the free will to think about what might happen on the 18th hole. But, but yesterday is history, and tomorrow mm-hmm. is a mystery, and today is a gift from God. And that's why we live in the present. And, and so um, – and, and that's why you've, you've got to stay in the present uh, when, in, on the golf course. And if you have – I think that is the single most important characteristic uh, to someone uh, succeeding and reaching their ultimate – ultimate talent level no matter whether they're a, a, a beginner or whether they're a tour player is having the ability to stay in the moment um, and I think Jack Nicklaus probably and Tiger Woods are probably the two of the best uh, ever at that and obviously their records would 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 echo that as well yeah. Bill Rodgers who was who worked with Jack Nicklaus told me that <clears throat> Jack Nicklaus had the strongest mind of any person he ever knew because he could sit in a five-hour board meeting and he could walk out of that board meeting and go out on the golf course and play and focus on one shot at a time, not focus on, not get wrapped up on what happened in the meeting. He had the ability to turn all that off. There's no way. I, I That would be something to be very difficult for me to do. If I came out of a five-hour board meeting, I would be, I would be, it would take me time just to digest all that, but he had the ability to shut that off. And I think that that skill, I think a lot of that's God given, but you have to train your mind to do it. But we all have free will. And that's what you have to tell yourself. If you're going to be negative over a shot, you're probably going to hit a bad shot. And you'll, if you're positive over the shot, you may not hit a great shot, but you have a lot better chance. So that's, that's the way I like to try to present to my students. Yeah, that's a great uh, a great answer. Thank you for that, John, and and some great examples as well. Um, Jamie, really, what we're talking about is the power of thought, and you raised a very interesting point earlier on about really being centered, and that's really what it's all about is sort of centering that energy, and and how important that is, uh, really in all aspects of our life. But obviously, as as we're talking about golf here on the show, and we're, we're trying to find ways of, of helping students out there and some of our, our uh, high handicap golfers are really sort of, uh, as John just put, you know, being focused on the task at hand. Uh, and I think, John, you, you said this uh, as well. And, Jamie, I'm going to get you to, to jump in here in just a second. But, John, you, you know, you talked about really uh, getting them focused on uh, a specific target, not really thinking about a lot of different things. And this is what really, I think, separates the professionals uh, from the amateurs, the professionals, when they're standing over their ball, they've got a specific target in mind. And now really all they're thinking about is executing the shot necessary to be able to reach that target. Uh, whereas our amateur golfers get up there and, as you said, they're looking at the pond, they're looking at the you know, other hazards, the bunker, and so on and so forth. They've got too many things uh, coming in and they're not really focusing on the task at hand. So, Jamie, what are some uh, examples uh, or, or uh, things that maybe you're doing with your students to really get that power of thought uh, focused on the right task at hand and, and really being centered uh, and not sort of wavering, as John uh, was mentioning with uh, with some of the students out there that they tend to do? Yeah, well, um, I really like what John said about that. We, you know, we have free will. 
And ultimately, I think that the fun and the challenge of golf, uh, really of anything, and it's, it's just right there in golf, is that what we're doing is practicing. We're training our minds. We're training ourselves um, under pressure to perform well and to, to focus. And, of course, it's so easy to be distracted and, and um, to, to kind of fall into negative thinking or whatever. So this is really, you know, it's just a challenge that we have, right, which is to get control of our mind. And the mind, uh, the Buddhists call monkey, a monkey mind, because it just jumps all over the place. And being able to, you know, to get it, well, you know, it's called monkey mind for a reason. If you just start going into some Eastern studies or meditation or whatever, um, you, you know, you start watching your monkey mind and you start um, disidentifying with it, not identifying with it so much. And, um, and what I like to do for myself is to really use the body as a place to focus because our body's right here and it uh, brings us into a very uh, powerful connection with ourselves. So, um, for example, part of uh, a routine that uh, the routine for hitting a shot that I like is when, you know, we're, we're holding a club and waggle, waggle, get some of the tension out of the hands and all. And then there's a waggle, waggle, waggle. Whoo, and there's this moment where the feet really get settled, and I like to pull them in just a little bit get the, and teach people to put their weight on the insteps of their feet. In fact, Jack Nicklaus even said, golf's played between the arches of the feet. So the feet, the weight goes mm-hmm. on the insteps, and the hands just kind of uh, close with just the right amount of pressure around the club. And the club, it, it just so happens in golf, is right there in the middle. It's a centering tool, shall we say, Okay. So, and that which is very, very convenient. It gets us center to have our, our, um, our stance just right and to go, boom, and just have an exhale. We're in this place where nothing's happening. It's called the creative void. There's not an inhale. There's not an exhale. So there you are, waggle, 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 and boom, pull your feet in, close hands around the club, and it's completely quiet. And then the focus is to just really be there with that. And I personally think that it's a good idea for people to know how they start their backswing and how they start their downswing. I always ask my students that. Most people don't know. (laughs) They're like, well, um, I don't know. I think I kind of, I don't know, my shoulders. I don't know. I think I move my hands. I think, and they don't really know. So they can't be consistent. And if you know, whether it's a movement of your hands or a little pressure on the instep or turning of the hips, whatever, um, we could talk about that. That gets into mechanics, but that you're just focused right in your own body and you know just where you're putting your mind, which is what's your first movement going to be, and then let the swing happen. So that's a way to take the mind off of hazards or bets or pressures or distractions or whatever and to really be right there present in your body. Um, Another thing that's kind of interesting in terms of uh, Jack and Tiger, Tiger talks a lot it has been written as well about training the tiger that his dad used to do everything to um, upset him right he'd stand there and bang pop right. his hands while tiger was trying to putt or to take swings whatever and that was that practice of um or, or a training for tiger to not be distracted to not get reactive emotionally or otherwise and, and mentally distracted by all of those disruptions or um, I'll do that. I'll, uh, you know, walk um, in front of, of the line of my student when they're trying to putt or make my shadow try to disturb them. And it's that practice. Mm-hmm. Can I be the same? Can I not get taken out of my, my presence, my centeredness? And interestingly, um, you know, I just got back from Israel, and I, I happen to speak Hebrew fluently. So the word for uh, 
center in Hebrew is merkaz, and it comes from the root word rikuz, which means focus and concentration. So uh, right there in the language is this direct connection between concentrated energy and centered energy. And we can do that right in our body. I think it's the best place we can go. It's also because stress, as we talked about earlier, is a biochemical <laughs> neurophysiological happening in the body that affects our mind and our emotions in our body. Right. So we can, we can shift that right away and shift our biochemistry um, just by practicing that sort of centering um, in the body and presence in the body. Very well said. Um, I knew these were going to be some great topics to talk about tonight, and you guys both have done a fantastic job in, in really um, explaining for the folks out there um, the various points uh, of obviously dealing with stress and, and obviously the power of, of thought and inter our internal dialogue. Uh, I want to ask one final question of both of you, and we, we've got limited time, so uh, we just have to be mindful of that because I want to give you guys an opportunity, of course, as I always do at the end of the, the segment, to uh, let the folks know and share how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in, in learning more uh, about what you're doing. Um, but when you think of the term, uh, and it kind of summarizes really what we've been talking about. John, I'm going to go back to you first, then Jamie. Um, what do you think of when you hear the term in the zone? Um, well, I think of when I um, personally uh, have been in the quote-unquote in the zone uh, moment. Again, I'm not a sports psychologist, but, but it's, it's a moment, it's a, it's a feeling that I have where I um, am I'm almost on a, like autopilot where I can Literally, um, I, 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 everything I do as far as my routine, there's no second guessing. Um, there's, mm -hmm. it's very, it's very concise. Where I'm looking, I'm picking my target. Um, um, I've got an intermediate target. I've got, you know, my my lines seem very, very assured and exact. I'm not second guessing myself. Um, there's no internal dialogue going on, and I'm very focused. And that is something that we all, um, if you've played any sport, whether it's golf or basketball or football, everyone at some point has made, you know, especially if they've had any success, has felt that. And the whole key is trying to find that. And that's why, again, I, I really harp on your pre-shot routine and having something consistent because that's the, that's the only thing consistent about golf because I can play the same hole uh, two times in a row uh, and one time I play it down the left side of the fairway, and the next time I might be on the right side of the fairway. I mean, it's just, but my routine is always the same. So I think doing that, and then, um, you know, when I think of in the zone, that would be uh, the way I would describe it more from a from a playing standpoint. I don't have all the the, the right. verbiage to, to explain it any other way than that. But that's, uh, you know, where you're you're thinking, um, you're picking your target, you're not second guessing yourself, and you're executing your shot. And it usually get a, it usually results in a good shot when you do that. I think you did it perfectly. That was uh, uh, one of the best ways I can think of to explain that. Jamie, would this be a fair statement? And, and along the lines of, of again being in the zone, um, but a sort of a feeling that when the mind and body are working together effortlessly, would that be a pretty good statement of being in the zone? What are your thoughts? Yeah, that, oh, that's, that's a beautiful statement. I think that what you're alluding to is harmony, the sense of things are in harmony. Mm -hmm. um, the body and mind are working together. Uh, the swing is working together. Um, and 
that there's just a, a sense of uh, harmony, a sense of being positive, this feeling that uh, are easy, effortless, as you said. It's kind of like nothing can go wrong, and um, you know you're you're not even doubting or worrying that things are going to go right. You just kind of know they're going to go right. Um, their time sort of slows down. You don't feel rushed. And the thing about the zone, it's just such a wonderful place, right? And we all would love to be in mm-hmm. the zone. And the only thing, the problem with the zone is that it seems like it happens to us, and it's really rare. It's infrequent. And we don't know how long it's going to last. Like three holes? How about 12 holes? It was here today. Right. It's going to be there tomorrow. Uh, what, right. What if I got up this or that side of the bed? Was it my horoscope? Was it my biorhythm? Um, so, and, and it just doesn't happen that often. So as wonderful as the zone is, those are the kind of uh, drawbacks. But uh, the way I look at it is that we have an inner zone, and that's what we have input into. We do have some control over um, getting into our inner zone. And our stressed out, negative, rushed, hurried, reactive, uh, over-emotional, negative mind, all of that stuff when we're in our negative stress, that's clearly not our inner zone. So we, some of the practices that we're talking about are to bring ourselves into that inner harmonized zone, and then we're sort of halfway there. At least we can control that, and then probably the outer zone will happen more often and last longer. That's at least my well, theory, and I like to, I like to uh, try to, to check it out for myself <laughs> and with my students, and, and I think it, it, it's a pretty good theory. It, it holds up pretty well. I, I agree 100%. Well said, Jamie. Um, you know, it's been a very interesting conversation tonight, and really what I want the folks to take away from this, and again, I understand this is, uh, you know, even though it all, it's all encompassing uh, with the game, it's really set apart from sort of our traditional understanding of instruction. Uh, this is really part of it, and, and I think that what you see a lot of, Uh, tour players do when they're in the zone and we've heard time and time again players that have won tournaments and have asked been asked the question you know um, what were you thinking about and a lot of times they they really can't answer Bubba Watson actually talked about that uh, when he won his last masters and he talked about uh, sort of being in that zone and really uh, it was just almost like he was floating on a cloud he just really uh, was in, in perfect, as you said, Jamie, perfect harmony uh, and just went out and got the job done. He didn't really think about a lot of things. Uh, and, and John, as you touched on, um, he was able to uh, pick and choose the things that he needed to do to get the job done with really very little thought. Uh, he was organized in his thoughts and was able to go out and do it and really wasn't floundering. And I think that if a lot of our golfers out there kind of took a cue from some of the tour players. If you ever want to learn from the tour players, forget about how they swing or how they hit the ball. Think about how they conduct themselves on the golf course, everything from the pre-shot routine, post-shot routine, and how they sort of th- that have that ebb and flow, if you will, uh, especially when they're playing well. And <clears throat> as both of you had mentioned, uh, Tiger and Jack Nicklaus were probably uh, two of the best at doing that uh, over their careers. And, uh, you know, it was a very effortless uh, moment and very little distracted them and took them out of that, um, you know, when they were in, in sort of the hunt in the heat of the moment. So um, these are things that and, and tips and, and that that John and, and Jamie have talked about tonight here 
uh, on the Coach's Corner panel are things that I really want you to think about the next time uh, you're working with your teacher professional and, and talk about that. Don't be afraid to engage in conversation and talk about some of these things because I think that once you have a better understanding of how not just your body works mechanically, um, but how internal dialogue and, and other things that we've talked about tonight can ultimately affect not just your golf game, but other areas of your life as well. So great job, guys, as always. And I want to give a special thanks as well to um, uh, my good friend Tim Kramer, uh, even though he wasn't on the show, but uh, for supplying some of the, the discussion tonight. And you can uh, learn more about him at uh, peakperformancemindcoaching.com is his website. So make sure you check that out. There's some great information uh, on there as well. And speaking of, of uh, reaching out, I would like to give both of you a great opportunity uh, here tonight, as always, uh, to let the folks um, find out how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about improving their games. And I'm going to go with ladies first. So, Jamie, uh, how can the folks reach out if they want to learn more about what we talked about stress tonight? I know it's on your website and uh, how they can get in touch with you. Well, first of all, just let me thank you, Ted, and also, um, John, it's just been uh, great to to go into this topic and I uh, really, really appreciate the opportunity always to be, uh, to be here and to talk to your listeners. So people can get in touch with me via my website, which is uh, www.kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I golf.com. And also uh, my uh, a very simple email is just jamie at kiigolf.com, J-A-M-I-E at kiigolf.com. And I'm also reachable by phone. Leave me a message or I'll get back to you. And that's 760-492-4653. I do a lot of traveling, speaking, teaching, golf schools. I'm always happy to do Skype lessons. And I have a very evergreen DVD series that is uh, always recommended and it's called the Kiai Golf Instructional Series and that's available on my website as well. Very good. Thank you, Jamie. And John, sir, how can we, uh, how can the folks tuning into the show, if they want to reach out or uh, learn a little bit more about you, what can they do? Well, again, uh, thank you, Ted, for having me on the show. I, I love coming on your show and uh, Jamie, I've, I've enjoyed being on with you as well. Um, there's many different ways. One uh, is through Facebook. Um, I, the, I have uh, my instructional site there is John Decker Golf Instruction, and I do spell my name J-O-N, so John Decker Golf Instruction on Facebook. You can also reach me on Twitter, um, uh, YouTube. I have uh, videos uh, on YouTube, uh, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Um, I do videos as well. And I've um, been working for about a year now with GolfSwing.com. And if you go to golfswing.com forward slash John Decker, and John Decker is all one word, uh, I've got about a, I've got 136 videos that I've done with Golf Swing over the last year, and also a short game series which is called Pitch Perfect, uh, which will be coming out uh, sometime in early September. I'm real excited about mm -hmm. that, and that's a hundred video series that's only on the short game from three to 40 yards out. So. Uh, it's um, very uh, intense as far as it goes, goes from everything from the grip all the way to ball position, weight distribution, you know, everything from uh, three to 40 yards out. So I'm really excited about that and uh, looking forward to seeing that. But, again, thank you for having me on the show. As always, uh, to both of you, thank you for giving of your time. Uh, I know it's not always easy when uh, – sorry, yeah, go ahead. 
Uh, yeah, um, I, did, I, I neglected to mention Facebook, of course. Um, the Kiai Way is my uh, page, Kiai Way and Kiai Golf, and uh, Jamie Leno Zimron. LinkedIn is also a really great way uh, to reach me, and also for business trainings and uh, business and golf trainings. Perfect. Well, thank you guys, uh, as always, for giving of your time. I appreciate it very much, and I look forward to having you come back. Great discussion tonight, guys, on the Coach's Corner panel. Thank you, and uh, and keep uh, doing the great job that you guys are doing out there and, and helping to grow this game and just helping people in general. So uh, I will see you next time. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. That was the uh, my very special guests on the Coach's Corner panel uh, John Decker and Jamie Leno Zimron, and uh, you heard how you can uh, reach out to both of them. Uh, let me just a, a very quick reminder, and then I, I want to move on and, and bring my my next guest on. Uh, he's been on a number of times on the show, and of course, I'm talking about uh, my good friend Brett Cohen. He is the golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 authority, and founder of NY Golf Fitness Guru. Uh, he is. Um, been in this business for 17 plus years. He specializes working with uh, golfers and individuals over 50 and is the only trainer in New York to hold two golf uh, fitness certifications, Titleist uh, Performance Institute, or TPI for short, and Czech Institute, as well as two fitness certifications specializing in the uh, mature population, uh, Functional Aging Institute and National Academy of Sports Medicine, and uh, is also a senior fitness specialist. Um, and we're going to be talking about tonight, and I'm going to let him uh, announced that. So let me bring on my very special guest tonight, uh, Brett Cohen. Brett, welcome hey, back you to there. Golf Talk Live. Hi. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> hey. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, How are you doing? Good, good, good. Thanks for the uh, the wonderful introduction. I could hear that uh, as I was waiting offline. Uh, good. Perfect. Warm in New York. So let's. That, that's summertime, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I hear you. Well, you know what? We've been getting a lot of rain down here over the last little while, once again here in, in the southeast. But I'm not going to complain because uh, it's kept everything yeah. nice and green and lush. But uh, we don't need that much of it. Um, Brett, I, I know we've got a great discussion and we've got a lot of uh, information to get out there for the folks. And uh, mm-hmm. just to let you know, um, for those listeners out there, uh, you know, Brett's a, a top authority here. Uh, in fitness, and one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the show uh, is uh, o- over this last year, particularly he's been on obviously uh, for the last few years, but uh, we've done some sort of special shows throughout the, the season talking about different areas of, of fitness, but also uh, everything from nutrition a little bit and also uh, hydration we talked about not too long ago. So um, the topic for tonight, uh, Brett, is what are we going to talk about? So it's a mouthful. It's the biggest mistakes you're making in the gym. Part one, this is uh, a large topic, and we're going to cover some of it today and some of it next month when I visit uh, in September. Okay, perfect. So uh, let me ask the the obvious, uh, I guess, first question just to to start the the conversation is, what is the number one mistake as far as you're concerned? Yeah, so as far as I'm concerned, the number one mistake is, uh, they're not even going to the gym, right? Um, so <laughs> the thing is, yeah, uh, the thing is every golfer wants to play golf better, right? That's why they come to you for lessons. They practice. They all want longer drives and lower scores. But for most golfers, getting better means getting new clubs, taking a lesson, playing more golf. And while all that's necessary to getting better at golf and seems perfectly logical, it's also the very reason most golfers rarely reach their potential. 
So I think the key to getting better at golf is to first improve the golfer. We spent a whole uh, episode on that very topic. Uh, the person right. swinging the club. So you need to be working on your weaknesses, improving upon the physical qualities and movement patterns that will allow you to hit the ball using the correct kinematic sequence and giving you the potential to hit the ball farther with less effort. So what I like to say, if you're going to swing the club, you should swing it efficiently. So uh, elaborate a little bit on that. What do you mean by swinging it efficiently? What I mean by that is, well, I first referred in the last um, question to the kinematic sequence, which is really just a way of saying how your body transfers energy to the ball. And the most efficient sequence is to steal energy from the ground, transfer that into your lower body through the pelvis, the torso, the shoulder, and the lead arm making contact with the ball. That's the ideal sequence. Um, But many of our club golfers, amateur golfers, struggle with doing that. Um, your, your golf swing is going to be based on how your body can perform, what it can physically do. And it's impossible to make a proper golf swing and keep your club on plane. If for example, you don't have enough flexibility and mobility in your hips, your shoulders and the strength in your core to make the club do what it needs to do. So we often see golfers will get a lesson. They'll get on videotape. They'll see themselves make a move they don't like the look of, and they'll say, well, I need to move more like that pro that's shown next to them. But the only way that they're going to really be able to do that is if they get their body in the kind of shape necessary to do that, uh, to make those movements that they see the better golfers doing. And that's, that's where I come in. So essentially that's what my job is to identify and then help remove the physical limitations. And once you remove those physical limitations, you can create better movement patterns and better movement patterns gives you the potential to play golf better. Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. So if you were going to, yeah. Summar- <laughs> yeah, if you're going to summarize, the- yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if it you want to summarize it's that a little bit. Topic. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, you're not kidding. summarize that, Brett. Yeah. If you wanted to summarize that, go ahead. Yeah. Regardless of, your level of play, uh, wherever you are in the spectrum. Uh, If you're not taking advantage of the opportunity to improve how you move off the course, it's going to, uh, you won't be able to maximize your potential on the course. So if you aspire to play golf at a higher level and you're not working on the physical aspects of your game, you're simply not going to be able to reach your potential as a player. So that kind of summarizes, um, the number one mistake, which is you're not training, whether you're going to the gym or you're doing it on your own at home. Basically that's, that's the number one mistake. You're not doing anything physically to help yourself play golf better. Hmm. Um, what would be the second biggest mistake? Yeah. The second mistake is um, the following. I'm sure most people are familiar with this very famous quote from Benjamin Franklin. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And another quote by uh, the famous Zig Ziglar, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. And what these two are really saying, from my perspective, is if you are going to the gym, you need to go with guidance. So an amateur training without guidance of an expert will usually try, well, I'll call a little of this and a little of that. I'm going to define what those things are, what's typically done in a gym when someone goes on their own. And the problem with that is twofold. It's usually not built around what their specific needs are. 
And they're typically not consistent enough in the gym or on their own to see positive results regardless of what they're doing on so their own. So g- give us an example. Yeah, give us an example of, of both of that, though, because, I mean, we've talked about this before on the show um, when people go into the gym. Obviously, if you want to play better golf, there's specific exercises and things like that that are more, more conducive to becoming better players uh, mm-hmm. than just going out there and lifting weights. So so give us a, a little bit of a, 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 I guess, a spread, if you will, of what you're talking about here. Yeah, sure. So the average amateur golfer, and regardless of whether you're a golfer or not just the average person, out there just does not have enough knowledge of how to put together a complete training program. And they're not familiar with all the elements that are going to be required for their success. So for your exercise to be successful, you first have to start with the end result in mind. This is um, like the Zig Ziglar quote. Uh, You have Mm -hmm. to know where you want to go, right? So you need to sit down and think, well, uh, what would I like to be able to do that I'm not capable of doing now? And then find out where you are physically in relation to that end and then reverse engineer a plan that's going to take you there. That's how you create an exercise plan. Like you would any other project plan. You start with the end in mind, Mm -hmm. you reverse engineer backwards. Uh, And that's part of what a good coach is going to do for you. That typically is not done on your own. Uh, Great point. And, you know, something else that I just want to sort of on a side note, just to let the listeners know um, something else, too, that sort of falls into that same category. And I'm not talking about fitness, but about uh, planning effectively. Um, you know, really, most professionals, when they're, uh, and I'm talking about tour professionals, when they're out there playing, they're actually playing from the green back to the tee. And the reason why they're doing that is they're thinking about, their end result, where they want to be, and then they execute a plan on how to, to do just that. So that's why mm. they're not thinking about, okay, well, how do I hit this tee shot or where do I hit this tee shot? They're thinking about where do I want to end up? Am I looking to birdie this hole? What am I doing? And then what do I do? What plan do I need to put in place to execute that? And what you're suggesting here is from a physical standpoint and a fitness point, uh, we want to do uh, the same thing is create a plan uh, to get that end result that we're looking for. Exactly. Right. So you have to know where you want to be and then you have to assess where you are and then we break it down into its components. Well, what do we need to do to get you there? Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to break down in the, the rest of the show is talk about um, what the average person is doing on their own and what they probably need to be doing more of and, and then some of the specifics of that. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well, let's move first. Yeah, yeah let's move first to uh, the next uh, biggest mistake, number three. What's that? The biggest, the next biggest mistake is um, most people are going to the gym with um, the thought of changing their appearance, not their performance. And what? So what I mean by that is, right, if you right. go to the gym with that thought um, as your primary objective then you're probably not going to be doing the things that you need to be doing to help your golf game as much as you could. Uh, there's a big difference between golf fitness and beach fitness. I know we've spoken about that in a previous show, maybe a year ago, <laughs> right? So in, in right. golf fitness, we're looking to improve how um, you're able to move into position to hit the ball with power consistency while reducing your risk of injury for beach fitness or just to, to look good. Right? We're just looking you know, training our bodies to look better aesthetically, whether it's in a pair of swim trunks or jeans or a suit, whatever the case may be. I call, I, I call that mirror fitness, another way of thinking that. Uh, you, it'll help you look good in the mirror, but it may not help you move functionally and, and uh, 
contribute to the sport that you're you're playing or or uh, would like to become better at. So if you think of PGA players, and not today, there's not very many anymore that may look out of shape for the beach, but they're in much better shape for golf than anyone listening in tonight. Uh, <laughs> there used to be more of, of professionals that did not look fit, right? They weren't trim right. or muscular and maybe didn't even exercise outside of playing golf. Um, that's a rare thing these days, but uh, they have the physical capabilities that are required for golf that most amateur golfers do not. So that's, that's the third biggest mistake is training for appearance versus performance. Right. So what's actually happening then? I mean, I know you've touched a little bit about it, but when, we're, when we train for appearance, um, what specifically are, are some of the things that, that the folks are doing? Um, give us an yeah. example of some of the types of exercise. Sure. So I think of exercise as uh, buckets that need to be filled. And so what most people are doing on their own, and I'm talking most, most of the people listening, I would think, in, are male. So I use guys as kind of a generic term. They're, they're working on that aesthetic-based result, and they're going to lean towards these two buckets, strength <clears throat> and cardio or cardiovascular mm-hmm. conditioning. Um, and from what I've seen in now it's close to 20 years in the industry, we're going to have to change the intro. It's more than 17 yeah. at this point. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they're not they're not doing a very good job of of that when they're left to their own accord, and that's kind of what we're going to break down for the rest of today's show and next month. So if you're going to the gym without a trainer and you're doing some bicep curls, maybe some push-ups, um, taking a walk on a treadmill for a while, um, riding on a recumbent bike, whatever it is you enjoy to do in the gym, great, glad you're going, but those those activities aren't necessarily going to help you move better or play better. And you're probably missing most of the things that you need to do to help improve your golf swing. So as important as strength and cardiovascular fitness is for golf, as well as overall health and fitness, um, it's mm-hmm. typically not what's holding back amateur golfers from getting better at golf. Most amateur golfers are going to need help with flexibility, mobility, stability, balance, power, speed, and their ability to disassociate their upper body from their lower body. Um, those are the other buckets that need to be filled and that are usually not being filled. And those are the critical skills that are necessary to play good golf. So these, these are the hmm. buckets that we need to see where, what, which one of them or, uh, or how many of them and to what extent need to be filled based on the assessment process. Yeah, and, and let me just back up real quick for a second too. Um, something that I think we we would um, be remiss if we didn't mention before. Really, you get into anything that we're talking about tonight. I think one of the first and foremost thing is being properly assessed. W- would you agree with that, Brett? Yeah, yeah, that's definitive. In order to um, earlier, we spoke about knowing where you want to go and and mm-hmm. knowing where your starting point is. So. To do that, you need to find out where you're at. And in the level one screen that you mentioned, TPI is the acronym, the Times Performance Institute screen, um, we are assessing most of those buckets minus the strength and the power uh, and the cardiovascular fitness, which are part of the level two screen. So in the level one screen, we're going to measure your flexibility, your mobility, your stability, your ability to disassociate your upper body from your lower body, your balance and how those relate to your golf swing. 
uh, and how that overflows into your golf swing currently. So um, it's necessary. If you're going to work with a professional or you want to get better, even if you're going to work on your own, to have a starting point, to be, to be honest with yourself and, and take an objective look at what are you capable of doing, what you're not capable of doing, how is that spilling over into your golf game, and that's going to give you um, the information that you need to create that plan that you could use to reverse engineer from your ultimate goal. Well said. Um, you know, there's a lot of things, and we're going to talk about some of them here uh, in a moment. You know, there are so many things that people don't realize. Uh, it's not, not just about the mechanics of the golf swing. And, and, you know, as instructors, obviously, we have a specific task at hand to focus on things like the grip and the posture and the ball position. Um, but as you know, as we age, a lot of those things can change because of discomfort, um, physical discomfort, of course, maybe their back uh, isn't supporting them uh, the way it did, and uh, obviously other areas of the body. And this is why it's so important, um, you know, to understand from the fitness standpoint what we need to do to keep ourselves in the best physical shape that we can. And obviously things are going to change as we, as we mature in age, uh, and adjustments need to be made, but uh, more often than not too many people, as you know, you mentioned, when you look at some of the, the golfers of the past, uh, they certainly were not what we would perceive to be, uh, overly athletic looking compared to some of the, mm -hmm. the golfers that we see out on, on the tours today. So, um, right. You know, I just want the folks to sort of keep that in mind that, you know, we're not just talking about hitting the gym and, and you know, getting into powerlifting. We're talking about very specific things here that are going to help get you in the shape you need to be and get you uh, motivated and get you a good plan uh, to be able to enjoy. I mean, you want to be able to have fun when you're out in the golf course. Um, yeah. uh, let's move. Yeah, let's move on to biggest mistake number four. Uh, the mistakes keep adding up and uh, yeah, we're getting yeah. into higher numbers here. So what's, what's the fourth one? I'm kind of su surprised at this one. Uh, well, we're going to talk about um, the cardio mistakes now. Um, th this is okay. it, it, we talked about those two buckets the, the uh, strength and cardio these are the things that the average person is going to gravitate towards when they're on their own so I want to tackle some of the myths and mistakes about cardiovascular exercise um, so okay. we could break through those the first one and it has a double meaning is never jog so if you're going to put time into your cardio bucket your conditioning bucket most people are probably doing it inefficiently because most people are only doing what is defined as aerobic or low-intensity steady-state training. So if you go into a corporate gym, you're going to see rows and rows of treadmills and recumbent bicycles. And I often get the question, well, if they're not great for you, why are they there? And the reason they're there is to sell you memberships because the fact is like, most people gravitate towards doing slow, steady-state walking, jogging on a treadmill, or maybe pedaling on a bicycle, they, they know it's good for them, and it's true that cardiovascular exercise is good for them, um, but they do that steady-state, uh, low-intensity version of it because it's easy, and the alternative, which is interval training, is hard. Um, what they need mm -hmm. to be doing is to get uh, used to being uncomfortable, what I call chasing discomfort, so get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's how you're going to change your level of fitness is by breaking out of the mold of being comfortable in that steady state aerobic zone and getting uncomfortable. And, and that's, um, uh, 
something that will help you in a lot of avenues of your health and fitness, but is usually not the case when someone's left on their own accord, right? So things like walking and jogging, they're categorized as a low-intensity aerobic-based cardiovascular. And what I mean by aerobic, in case people are not aware, is the easiest way to think about it is it gets you moving, but it doesn't get you out of breath, right? So uh, if you could do it for an extended period of time, more than 30 seconds, it's aerobic in nature. It's relatively low intensity. And if you're already walking, you're able to walk a golf course, uh, which I hope most of your listeners mm-hmm. can, you're already getting enough right. of that low-level stimulation. But what you really need more of is high-level or high-intensity stimulation. Uh, and that's going to get you fitter faster and fitter from a, a few different perspectives. So one thing to consider is golf is a power sport. And one of the elements of power is speed. If you want to improve your speed, you need to move fast. So whether it's running and I, I run, but I know there's some people that um, not capable of running for various reasons, maybe orthopedic reasons, whether it's running or any other piece of equipment that requires you to use your big muscles in your heart and lungs. If you're moving slow, you will be slow. So lots of steady state aerobic exercise will progressively change your muscle fiber type from fast to slow, which is a problem already as we age. We start to lose that fast twitch muscle fiber uh, as we age pretty rapidly after the age of 50. And so your conditioning program, which you think is benefiting you for golf, may be taking away from the speed component of your golf game. That means you need to change your program. You need to start to interject uh, some of that interval-based programming as opposed to the steady state. Right. Mhm. That makes sense. Yep. You're exact. That makes perfect yeah. sense. And mm-hmm. you know, I obviously notice, you know, being over 50 now as well. Uh, obviously, you do see a difference. I mean, I try to, uh, you know, keep myself in good shape and and be active all the time. But you do. You're exactly right. Once you start to get to a certain point, uh, you start to notice differences in the speed and agility, even. Uh, of your body. So it, it's definitely something that uh, we can all uh, stay more focused on. Um, so let's yeah, talk yeah. about some. Uh, no, just follow up. Uh, I was going to say, um, you know, if there's people that jog out there, we're, we're going to use this as the default because I know there's other ways to do aerobic or cardiovascular exercise. But jogging, uh, which is still popular, became popular in the in the 70s is what's known as an incomplete motor pattern. It's a little faster than a walk, but slow, but a lot slower than a sprint. So less than a run or a sprint, and you have what we call incomplete hip motion or hip flexion, hip extension. When the knee comes up towards the chest and then it straightens back out again, those are that's the, the motion of hip flexion, hip extension. And if you do that over a long period of time, you actually get tighter which creates a movement dysfunction and over time can lead to injury. So what you want to do is move as close to that sprint pattern as possible. So we have in between the jog and the sprint is a run. And when I say run, what I really mean is um, it can be at a tempo that just looks more like a sprint than less like a jog. You kind of know when you're looking at it, but it, um, Mm -hmm. the, the person's gait will look different. There's more of a forward lean to it, more of a landing on the brother than the upright form we see 
in walking, uh, which is typical of a jogger. It's one of the reasons why there's so many lower body impact injuries for for people that jog is because it's closer to a walk and that their body weight is being pressed into the ground at a rate of three to five times their body weight every step they take. And the longer you go, the greater your risk of injury. So that's wow. one of the drawbacks of, of the jog as opposed to uh, a higher <laughs> speed tempo run. <laughs> Are you a jogger by any chance? No, no. Okay. Definitely not a jogger, so I know that's not, certainly, not my problem. Certainly not after tonight, anyway. If you were, no. we have to convert you. Okay. Good. Um, now, I know that one of the other things that we you, you kind of alluded to earlier, and I want to ask you about this, um, is you mentioned about the things that the, the cardio bikes and obviously treadmills and things like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, mm-hmm. obviously, as you say, you get into the corporate uh, field and you see a lot of people on the treadmill and and certainly uh, I'm not against somebody using a treadmill but obviously there are some drawbacks. What are some of the drawbacks or are there any drawbacks to using a treadmill? Yeah, I, I think it does more harm than good. My nickname for the treadmill is the dreadmill, uh, and <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you why. Well, at least from from one perspective anyway. So it seems like a great invention. I mean, you look at it, you go, wow, I could run inside in any kind of weather, especially here in the Northeast where I am. Yeah. Uh, when it gets cold, if you want to jog or you want to run, and I'm going <laughs> to use that term kind of loosely, I, I really mean run, comfortable being outside. Well, you could always go to your gym, your corporate gym, where you have a membership and use a treadmill. So here's the drawback. Um, the treadmill running or treadmill running is not, really running it's suspended running so when you run outside you have to push yourself away from something the ground and if you're on a treadmill you're actually being pulled along by a belt which has a very different effect on the body than a ground-based running and here's one of the effects so again there's there's a a lack of true hip extension and that means it undertrains the glutes and overuses the hamstrings. So the glutes in golf are known as the king of the swing, and I have yet to mm-hmm. assess anyone that has too loose of a hamstring, right? Most people, they say their hamstrings are too yeah. tight. Part, part of that, there's many things that contribute to that, but part of that is they're not using their hips in a full range of motion. So those hamstrings get what we call over-recruited. They're doing too much work in relation to the glute, the larger, bigger brother that creates that hip extension motion. Um, And that's another one of the the drawbacks of using a treadmill for running. Regardless of the speed you're running at, whether it's a a walk, a jog, walking, I don't really care so much. Walking is walking. But if you're going to do tempo or training or running, um, last resort. I I would use it as a last resort. Not recommended. Yeah, and – yeah, and, and I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm certainly not a fitness expert, but uh, I know I see people that spend a lot of uh, time. In fact, I, I've seen them, they'll do an hour or, or even sometimes more on a treadmill. And, you know, they'll incline it and then they'll jog a little mm-hmm. bit and do that. And, and again, I think like as you suggested earlier, they 
basically been sold on that in order to, to sell gym memberships. And, and I, again, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not, you know, knocking anybody if they're using a treadmill, if that's what they want to do. But I just think it's, uh, you know, if I'm going to go for a walk, I'd rather go outside where it's a little bit nicer and the weather's good and enjoy the, the scenery than, you know, being stuck on, on a basically feeling yeah. like a, a, a hamster in a wheel. Um, and that's really what you kind of yeah. feel like. Yeah. Um, so let me let's add, add yeah, something let's talk. to, to Sorry, this. go ahead. Yeah, if, go I, ahead. if I can, let me uh, give everyone that's listening a, a piece of advice. Let's say they are going to the gym. They want to do cardiovascular exercise. And I'm, I'm putting down the treadmill for a reason. Uh, I just talked about one of its drawbacks. What you want to do when you go to these corporate gyms is you look around and you see a lot of this and a lot of that. So you have a lot of treadmills. You have a lot of bicycles. They're there, remember I said earlier, because A, people expect to see them. It sells memberships. And B, they're relatively easy. What you want to do is you want to gravitate to the machines, the cardiovascular conditioning machines that there are very few of. And the reason there are very few of them is because they're challenging and most people don't want to yeah. use them. So that would be a step mill, um, a verti climber, vertimax climber. Those are very, very difficult. That's why you don't see them in the gym at all. There's just one and two off in a corner. That's what you want to use. You're trying to get fitter. That's what you want to do. You want to stay away from what everyone else is doing and go the other way. Yeah, and that's a great point. I know, and I'm not going to name the gym, but I know that there's a uh, a particular, <laughs> and I know there's a lot of them like this, but there's a particular yeah. chain um, that really tries to draw people away from some of the more challenging uh, and basically loads up with, as you said, uh, with with uh, what they call their cardio uh, machinery yeah. like the treadmill and, mm -hmm. and the bicycles and that's basically all you see and you're exactly right uh, you're certainly going to work mm -hmm. up a sweat using it but um, it, it's not giving you the, the best uh, best uh, options for, for uh, increasing mm -hmm. performance and that um, let's talk about mm -hmm. another area a little bit and, and I know we've got some other topics we want to make sure we get in here so um, yeah. what about weight loss I mean this is an area too that people struggle with and obviously uh, it's conducive to, to playing some better golf so what are some issues here about weight yeah. loss and what's your, your recommendation All right. so when it comes to weight loss uh, once again this low intensity version of cardiovascular exercise and I use that term what cardiovascular really means is you're just using your heart and lungs. So every kind of exercise we're doing is cardio. But when people use that word, they're typically thinking of aerobic or that steady state kind of exercise. Um, the problem with that steady state is that it works well at the beginning of an exercise program if you're a non-mover, right? Let's say you haven't exercised in years. I want to lose some weight. You start on a walking program. You're riding a bike that's going to burn calories. It's going to increase your metabolism. It will work for a while, but then your body's going to become very efficient at that movement pattern. And it's not going to become challenging to you after a while. And then, so that weight loss will come to a stop pretty much. You're going to get very frustrated because the weight that came off in the early stages, that's going to slow down and come to a stop because you're only burning calories while you're moving, not at rest. And in order to do that, you're going to have to, pick up the pace. So steady state caloric def deficits are going to take hours and hours of movement. You mentioned earlier, you see people on for an hour, mm -hmm. right? Walking, jogging, whatever they're oh, doing yeah. for a long period of time yep. to accomplish mm -hmm. the same caloric deficit that you could, uh, that <clears throat> effect that you could get with uh, interval training in a fraction of the time. And the reason for this 
and this does not show up on your fitness tracker because fitness trackers are only recording movement in real time, is something called EPOC, this acronym, which means exercise post uh, uh, or uh, excess, I'm sorry, excess post-exercise consumption. And what that really means is just an afterburn, right? It's, it's a, the rate at which it takes your body to restore itself to the normal resting metabolic function or homeostasis after periods of intense exercise. And that time period that it takes you to recover from the period of intense exercise is using calories during that period of time, which is not measured, again, measured by your fitness watch. So um, it may not look like you're burning a lot of calories time you're exercising, but you are during the recovery period. That's one of the, one of the benefits of any kind of interval-based program. Now, I want to talk about interval training here. Um, obviously, we want to find out a little bit more about that, but I want to ask you one other thing first, just sort of to, to play off the weight loss a little bit because there's other factors involved. Um, hormonally, yeah. for, for instance, what about our hormones? How do they sort of play into this as well? Yeah, so this is important, again, as we age because many people fail to realize that the kind of exercise you do can have a pronounced effect on your hormonal production, your hormonal profile. And excess of amounts, and it's hard to define what excess is, but certainly if you see someone in the gym and they're doing an hour on a treadmill on a regular basis, I'm going to say that's excessive amounts of steady-state aerobic exercise or someone that's training for endurance events, um, example, half marathons, marathons, something I've done myself many times over when I was younger. Right. Um, that, that has the effect of increasing our stress hormone, our cortisol levels, which is catabolic. In other words, it, it will um, actually use lean muscle tissue as fuel. And as the body ages, we're already losing that lean muscle tissue. So at a more rapid rate than we were when we were younger, um, it also increases free radicals in the blood, so which accelerates the aging process. So as we age, I think if you want to do a steady state, low-intensity exercise, walking is sufficient. Outside of that, you should be doing an interval training-based program for cardiovascular fitness, for weight loss, and to improve your hormonal profile. Okay. Now, right. what is interval? Yeah, I agree. What is interval training for those that maybe aren't familiar with that term? Uh, and then I want to talk about some of the benefits of, of doing interval training. To explain first off what right. it is, and then we'll talk about some of the benefits. Yeah, so it's it's incredibly simple. It could be very complicated if you get a scientist to uh, talk about the, the work and rest periods, but that's essentially what it is. It's alternating periods of work with periods of rest, and that's it. Now, um, figuring out how much work and how much rest you should be doing, there's a lot of ways to calculate that. It could be done by time, which is not as accurate as heart rate, but that's essentially what it is. It, it is the pairing of work and rest. Hmm. Right. And, and so some of the benefits are um, far superior to steady state for conditioning and weight loss with less time. Uh, and uh, there's far less chance of injury. So if you're using running as the example, if you're going to do a steady state run and it's, closer to that jog than the tempo or the sprint, uh, more time on the ground means more chance of injury as opposed to 
uh, interval training. So it just doesn't make sense logically. The kind of training that I do nowadays compared to maybe four years ago, I was doing a lot of steady state training to train for races, including multiple half marathons. I did four in one year. My half marathon, for those who are not familiar, is 13.1 miles. So you have wow. to train for long periods of time to be able to run for long periods of time. If that's your goal, then you need that training protocol. But now that I'm, I just turned 57, not only do I hmm. not want to do it mentally, <laughs> the desire has been, <laughs> been, been lost because I did it for 15 years, but I also know it's not good for me. I mean, it's not good for my, my joints. Unfortunately, I have no joint pain, um, but a lot of people at my age already do experience joint issues. It's not good for my hormonal profile. It's not beneficial for fat loss. It takes a lot of time, which I don't have to spare anymore. So my running or my cardio training involves going outside, finding a hill, and running up and walking down, running up and walking down, or finding a, a strip of land that's a tenth of a mile, which takes me about 40 to 50 seconds, depending on the day or, or the incline, and rest, start again, and rest, and that's interval-based training. So I may work for... Um, 10 minutes and run a mile and a half in that 10 minute period, but I'm going to be burning calories through the next day um, with just 10 minutes of work. Now it's not comfortable work, but it's a short period of time and that takes time to get used to, right? Remember? Yeah. And, and you know, what's really interesting about that, Brett too, is, you know, everybody is very time conscious these days and it always, uh, you know, when you think about it for them trying to balance out, okay, we'll do, you know, I, I don't know if I can really spend an hour in the gym, but I won't mm-hmm. take 10 minutes and go over and do this because it's hard. So they opt mm-hmm. for the easier option, even though it's taking more of their time, which is something yeah. you know, they, they desire yeah. to, you know, so it, it kind of does, it is counterproductive in many ways, obviously physically, but just in, in their thought process, it doesn't make any sense sometimes their, their, um, their yeah. way of thinking. Um, yeah. How yeah. do we know though, Right. Here's the, the real question. How do we know if we're working hard enough? How do we know we're doing the right things and obviously getting the benefits that we want? How do we know if we're doing it hard enough the, the way we need to do it in order to get the best benefits? Yeah. Right. So there are many ways to measure that, but I'm going to give you the simplest way to measure it. So the, the easiest and least scientific way I know of that you're pushing yourself hard enough is what's known as the ventilatory threshold, right? Big fancy term. Mm-hmm. All that means is yeah. whatever you're doing gets you out of breath. So if aerobic, meaning with oxygen, is a low-intensity form of cardiovascular training, and you could do it for a long period of time without being out of breath, and I'm sure you've seen people on the treadmill or on the bicycle talking to the person next to them, reading a paper, watching television, right. very low intensity, they're far from out of breath. <laughs> if you force right. yourself to get to that point where you're out of breath, you've reached that ventilatory threshold, and now you're interval training, and then you create a recovery period that's adequate for you. That it could be measured in time, it could be measured in in, uh, in pulse rate, a heart rate, um, and it's going to vary depending on your level of conditioning and how much time you you have. But uh, it's not really more difficult than that. Even if you just use, okay, I'm out of breath. I'm going to wait till I feel more comfortable to start again, mm-hmm. you're still going to get a lot of benefit out of it. Most people will use this um, 
analogy, if, if you could sing happy birthday, you haven't reached your ventilatory threshold. If you've reached your ventilatory threshold, <laughs> you probably can't get more than two words out. Um, I remember when I was training runners, I trained some beginner runners for a while, and uh, they were doing this very thing. They were they started, like most everyone else, with steady state, and they would do that same steady state or that distance and that time period over and over and over again because <clears throat> that's all they knew. And I forced them to get uncomfortable. So we would do uh, interval training, and I said, here's what I want. When I ask you how you feel when you cross the line, if you could do anything more than flip me the bird, you didn't work hard enough. And of course, they got a kick out. They got a kick out of that. So if you could talk and you could answer me, you didn't. You didn't put enough effort in. Right. So right. you're gonna you're gonna know. You want to work hard enough that you're gonna get out of breath. And if, if it's running or it's cycling, people uh, may do this on a spin bike. Your legs are gonna get a little bit of burn sensation, um, and that's just that's just hard work, you know? Uh, it's also yeah. been, uh, there's a famous track coach from, uh, the university of, uh, Illinois who said shorter distances preserve running mechanics. Something I spoke of earlier, right? Full range of motion in the hips while brief recovery times produce the same aerobic benefit as a distance run. Um, and, and even a, even a mile is a distance run. Like if you look at a professional runner running a mile, much faster mm-hmm. than you and I could ever dream of, they're not really out of breath when they finish, which is in fact right. they can run a four-minute mile and then, you know, they'll recover in seconds, whereas most of us will be vomiting at the end of, of, of a, a full sprint, <laughs> a mile, right? If you're going to run a mile as right. hard as you can, for <clears throat> the, the regular person, very high intensity, <laughs> whatever yeah. the speed. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you're not working hard enough. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I would be the latter. Um, mm-hmm. So, so Brett, obviously, you know, uh, there's those out there that have that have added some kind of, um, you know, fitness program, uh, you know, to to help improve their golf game, uh, or maybe there's some out there that um, that maybe need to. Uh, where would be the best place for them to start? What would your advice be to, to sort of get the ball rolling? Yeah, it's something we touched upon earlier, and I'm going to put it this way. You want to assess and then mm-hmm. address, right? So I think everyone needs to begin with that assessment and be honest with themselves and find out what's working, what's not working. As I mentioned earlier, the TPI level one screen, we're going to look at uh, these buckets that are typically not being filled by the average person going to the gym on their own that flexibility, mobility, balance, the ability to dissociate your upper body from your lower body, the essential physical requirements that are needed to play powerful, consistent, and pain-free golf. So that's where they should start. They should start by finding a qualified trainer. Uh, I think the Mm -hmm. people at TPI do a great job, especially when it comes to the the golf market. Someone that... uh, has an understanding of what you're physically capable of, how that relates to the golf swing, and then communicate those things to your teaching professional because ultimately that's what we're here for, right? We're here to create a program that's going to improve your athletic ability. And by doing that, what we're doing is assisting the golf coach, someone like yourself, by providing Mm -hmm. them with a better mover, a better athlete, someone that has the potential to physically express what it is you're asking them to do. 
Yeah, that's a great way to put it, and that's a very uh, important point to make, Brett, uh, because as a golf uh, instructor, one of the issues that we're faced with sometimes working with students, especially you know uh, if you're working down here in Florida, and as many of the uh, fellow pros that I know um, who, who've been guests on the show and who've been uh, guest panelists on Coach's Corner will uh, tell you, especially in the fall, we get a lot of our seniors coming down here, and there's just certain things that because of a lack of, of fitness um, or mobility are, aren't able to perform certain things. And what often ends up happening is they will modify their swing or their position in order to A, uh, make it more comfortable uh, or to accommodate maybe uh, a deficiency somewhere in their body. And that's mm-hmm. really robbing them of their, of their potential. So I, I want to obviously uh, give you an opportunity to, uh, in closing, to really give some last piece of advice, but I also want you to really emphasize the fact that it doesn't matter how old you are, it's never too late uh, to do something to improve, obviously, overall yourself, uh, your body and that. Uh, but for those golfers out there, even our senior golfers uh, and mature golfers, it's never too late to, uh, to do something to, to improve. Yeah, absolutely correct. It's never too late. Uh, uh, and that's kind of the, the way I would summarize all of this is it, it's golf is important to you and you want to play that for decades and decades. Um, mm-hmm. Then you need to invest in yourself and invest in your game and the benefits from being in shape for golf will carry over to all aspects of your life because we're improving your ability to move better. So regardless of the sport, it's going to benefit you um, in everything that you do. Being fit for golf only gives you the ability to play golf better. I I should say being fit for golf not only gives you the ability to play golf better, but uh, it gives you the ability to play it for a long period of time. Well said. A lot of people take it up when they're they're retiring and they may have another 20-plus years in front of them. And if you want to enjoy the game and enjoy life and be able to do the things that um, you need to do and you like to do and you want to do, fitness is going to help you do all of those better. Well, and, and there's, yeah, you're exactly right. Well said, you know, there's another thing for people to keep in mind as well. Um, you know, I, again, I'm more emphasizing on, on some of our more mature golfers, but you know, by being in, in better shape, um, what it's going to allow you to do, because I see so, so much of this is especially with, within men and we're focusing more on men tonight, but um, mm-hmm. you know, they'll get out there and they'll play, you know, their 18 holes and then they're wiped out for the rest of the day. And, you know, yeah. they go back after they play, they've got no energy left. They've got, you know, no stamina. And, uh, you know, they just sort of plunk themselves down in their favorite chair or, or flop out in the couch and they're <laughs> basically done for the rest of the day. Right, right. And I think sometimes incorporating what we've been talking about, not just tonight, but on some of the other uh, segments that you've been on over this last year and, and in previous years, I think that they would find that they would have uh, much more energy and enjoyment, not only on the golf course, but afterwards as well, when they want to socialize with yeah. friends and family. So, yeah. you know, that's really what the key is. You know, one of the things right? that I get is feedback from, from the golfers I work with. And the vast majority of them are in the boomer category. <clears throat> and most of them, are over 50 uh, working their way into the seventies is uh, here in the Northeast. I know it's a kind of a different animal than, than in Florida that there's, we have a season. Right. So when the opportunity is there, they want to take advantage of it. And that sometimes that means playing 
two or three or even more times in a week, depending on who they are and what's available to them. Sometimes they play multiple right. courses in multiple days. Now, yep. fitness or an increased level of fitness not only allows you to play the game at a higher level, but it allows you to recover at a faster rate. So oftentimes I'll get someone tell me, well, here's what I noticed. The big difference between last year and this year is last year I was wiped out on by Sunday after playing Friday and Saturday, and now I feel good. Or I played the first nine good, and then I played the last nine poorly because <coughs> I was tired. So fatigue, right. muscular fatigue, neurological fatigue, mental fatigue, uh, those things are improved through higher levels of fitness. That's one of the reasons why we push someone in a gym setting to have a functional reserve in a functional setting such as sport and life. You want to actually train harder in the gym than you're going to need for your activity. So you have a reserve capacity. Not, no, I won't train too hard because I want to save myself. It doesn't work out right. that way. Yeah. Right. You've, yeah, you're exactly right. Well said. Um, Brett, great discussion tonight. Um, thank you for bringing this to the show, and I know that the audience will sure. uh, will get lots of uh, good advice out of it. And I want to give them an opportunity because Brett really has a great website um, filled with not just what we talk about tonight, but so many other great topics. He's got a great uh, great site to go and, and see some other articles that he's written and other discussions that he's had um, uh, you know, on his site. So uh, first off, let the folks know uh, how they can reach out to you if they choose to and, and learn more about what, uh, what you're doing for, on the fitness side of things and also let them know uh, where your site is and, and so forth. Yeah, um, the easiest way to find everything is to go to the website, which is nygolffitnessguru, all one word, dot com. Uh, it has a telephone number, uh, email address. I believe there's connections. There are, I'm going to look at it now. There's connections to social media sites. So I do have a YouTube channel with a few videos on there, um, teaching people how to do some warm-ups in the gym and before golf. Uh, I'm on Facebook trying to use it less and less these days, but I'm still on there. And, um, (laughs) and there's lots of, lots of blogs, um, to, to cherry pick from. There's like 11 pages of material. I do a lot of writing. So you could find anything from, you know, the proper sunscreen you should wear in the summertime to what you should put in your stomach before you go out to the course. Because I'm not just a golf fitness specialist and senior fitness specialist, but also have a background in uh, nutrition and lifestyle coaching as well. So it's the holistic approach to getting people to feel better, move better, play better. Well said. And and that's that's important as well. We want everybody to get out there and enjoy and be able to play this great game. Golf is a very unique uh, game in, in itself. It's not only uh, interesting and challenging to play, but it's something that many people uh, that have known for years, it's a game that you can play well into your uh, mature age. And unlike so many other sports that are very high impact, certainly golf does have its share of impact as well. Um, but it's a, it's a game and a sport that you can play well into your uh, maturing age. So, um, but in order to play at your best, you've got to keep yourself in, in, uh, in good shape and, and being able to, to keep that stamina up. So this is a great way to do it. Uh, what we talked about tonight, Brett, as always, thank you very much for coming on and you're going to come back on next sure. month and we're going to have the second half of, of this discussion and, and um, we'll, we'll talk about that. And, and for those of you that are tuning into the show um, and maybe not familiar with Brett, 
Um, you can find him at nygolffitnessguru.com. Uh, all of his contact information is there, uh, plus many of the great posts that he has. And also, Brett, um, I think as well on your website, they can sign up. Uh, I believe you have a, a newsletter because I know I get them, or maybe you're just saying them to me directly, um, where he writes yeah. very great articles. Yeah, they can sign up and have that come right into their inbox and their email and get some great information right. as well as visiting the site, correct? Correct, and there's also a downloadable uh, dynamic warm-up PDF. Which, so if they download that, they'll need to leave their name, email address, and then I'll put them on the newsletter list where I share some of this information uh, in, in, a, in a shorter version. So I know people are pressed for time. I don't overwhelm them. Right. And I don't email all that often. Try try to be uh, <laughs> mindful of that. <laughs> but it's it's yeah. great information, and uh, and I've received uh, obviously over – uh, the time that we've known another, uh, one another uh, received some great uh, tips in that. So um, by all means, visit uh, uh, Brett's website, nygolffitnessguru.com, and sign up for that because uh, it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. Brett, as always, thank you very much for coming on, and, and uh, I will see you back here mm-hmm. on Golf Talk Live next month. Yeah, thank you. And next month we're going to tackle the strength mistakes. So just for Uh-oh. anyone that's anticipating, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> just as revealing <laughs> as the cardio mistakes. <laughs> That's what we're gonna, yeah, you that's better we're you better into. send me some advance. Yeah, you better send me some advance yeah. notification of that, so I can make sure I'm not breaking any of the rules on that one as well. No, <laughs> I think by the time I'm finished with you, Ted, you could be a fitness trainer and a golf coach all wrapped into one. You're gonna have so much knowledge. Yeah. Uh, hey, so that's a good combination. To why have. not? The yeah. next evolution. Get you filled in. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Thank you, Brett. Thanks have a again great, for having uh, me, weekend. and we'll, we'll talk speak soon. next month. Very good. All Thank right. You. Always Bye-bye. a pleasure. Thanks, Brett. Bye bye. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Brett Cohen, uh, the NY golf fitness guru himself. Uh, always a pleasure having him on the show and always bring uh, some great information uh, to help uh, many of our golfers out there. So if you uh, are just tuning in towards the end of the broadcast, maybe you uh, got caught a little short uh, doing some other things and weren't able to join us for the whole conversation, uh, if you visit the link, uh, blogtalkradio.com, forward slash golf talk live which of course is the network for this program uh if you visit that uh, in a little a uh, few moments uh you can actually listen to the recording version of tonight's broadcast in its entirety uh and uh, you can listen not only to the coach's corner panel which uh i had my very special guest panelist john decker and jamie leno zimmer on uh, Zimron, excuse me, on earlier tonight they did a fantastic job talking about things like stress and and the power of thought and how that can uh, work out in the golf course as well. And then, of course, my good friend Brett Cohen, uh, fitness and, uh, golf fitness instructor uh, and senior specialist that uh, was on tonight on the second half uh, talking about uh, some of the biggest mistakes that uh, many of the golfers and, and people in general make in the gym. So uh, you can visit that link a little bit later on uh, to listen to the show when it's convenient for you. So, But on that note, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of the listeners worldwide uh, for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live each and every week. Uh, the audience is, is continuing to grow at an exponential rate, and uh, I want to thank you for that. And uh, I want to thank all of the, the guests as well. I, I truly do, and I mean this sincerely, I have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teaching professionals, uh, authors, and entrepreneurs, and fitness uh, professionals as well stop by. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. A special thanks to uh, some of the sponsors and supporters of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird from SouthCoastGolfGuide.com. Uh, you can visit that link and find out more. Uh, it's a great publication he's been doing now for uh, 
uh, over 20 years. I think actually he's in his 22nd or maybe 23rd season. Uh, great publication, a golf guide down here in the southeastern part of the United States, uh, covering many of the great courses. And you can uh, get a, a copy of that publication either by uh, requesting it through his website, uh, southcoastgolfguide.com. Uh, and you can view a lot of the information on the website. Uh, or if you're in the southeast here, particularly from Texas, right over here to the uh, north uh, part, of, northwest part of Florida uh, and states in between, you can get a copy at many of the golf courses there. Uh, and it actually has a list uh, by state, all of the many great golf courses in the area that you can uh, actually call right uh, using the information that's in the guide uh, if you want to book your tee time. So uh, great guide. Uh, Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf uh, and also Endless uh, Golf uh, Myrtle Beach uh, Magazine. Uh, you can get her at uh, her website as well, which is MeredithKirk.com. And she's got a new website out. and I'm going to get her on the show and we'll talk about that as well. Uh, and see what's been happening in Meredith Kirk's uh, uh, world here lately. So we'll get her on the show. Uh, of course, Nikki and Tiffany uh, Litherland, uh, thank you for all of your help spreading the word. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from OnticGolf.com, a great line of customized uh, putters. Uh, if you're looking to get a great uh, custom putter, uh, go to OnticGolf.com, visit his website. You can actually order right through the website, and he'll uh, put one together for you. Uh, Sean Kelly, owner of LinkedGolfers.com, a great social media platform, uh, one of the largest uh, golf groups uh, in, really in the world uh, on LinkedIn.com, and he's uh, taking it out to his social media platform. Uh, that's LinkedGolfers.com. And, of course, my good friend from over in Ireland, Mr. Peter Doyle, a great uh, golf professional and club fitter uh, from Doyle Golf Solutions. You can uh, visit his uh, site as well. Just uh, uh, look up Peter Doyle over in Ireland under Doyle Golf Solutions, and you'll find his website as well. And on that note, I want to take this, uh, uh, again, opportunity to thank all of you for tuning in uh, tonight on the broadcast. I appreciate you uh, joining in. And remember to follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me personally on Facebook, uh, also on LinkedIn.com, and uh, also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me each and every week here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And don't forget to join me every Tuesday morning on the network as well on my other program with my good friend and co-host LPJ professional Cindy Miller. And that, of course, is on the Women of Golf. Uh, where we uh, interview many of the up-and-coming uh, tour players on the Symmetra Tour and uh, some great uh, teach professionals and players as well from the LPGA Tour So uh, and many other uh, business entrepreneurs, uh, women uh, entrepreneurs, and some guys as well that come on that are really working hard to elevate women uh, in golf. So make sure you tune uh, Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the blogtalkradio.com, and that link is blogtalkradio.com forward slash womenofgolf. Uh, and you can join Cindy Miller and I every Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10. And then, of course, Thursday, I want you to come right back here on the blogtalkradio.com network forward slash Golf Talk Live and listen to me and my guests on the Coach's Corner panel and my very special guest interview to follow uh, every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. So make sure you tune into both shows. And if you can't join us live, not to worry, just visit both of those links, scroll down to the on-demand section, and you can listen to the uh, shows in their entirety. Or you can go to uh, iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, or TuneIn.com and type in either Women of Golf or Golf Talk Live, and you can listen to the uh, shows in their entirety on those social media platforms. On that note, thank you, everybody, and uh, God bless, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live.